The views and opinions expressed in this podcast may be triggering and don't necessarily reflect the views of myself or Blue Matter Project. Please note that I'm not a licensed therapist or a doctor, and all opinions of our guests are for informational purposes and should not be considered medical advice. For any questions about your own health, please consult a medical professional. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Mindful Matters podcast. Thanks to each and every single one of you for coming back to tune in. Today, I'm joined with Veronica Foster, who's a marriage and family therapist with over 14 years of clinical experience, providing individual, family, couples, and group therapy. And she specializes in dual diagnosis for the treatment of trauma, substance misuse, self-harming behaviors, depression, anxiety, and attachment wounds. And today in this episode, we're talking about safe and empowered relationships, which I feel is a really popular topic. Some of our most listened to episodes on the podcast are about relationships. And so in this episode, she shares with us her own personal experience of marriage and her own personal journey as she navigated towards this professional space of marriage and family therapy. And she's someone who has the ability to take very complex and sensitive topics like the family systems and helps us navigate towards a space of empowerment and healing. She has a lot of experience and wisdom, and she's someone that I genuinely loved connecting with. So I'm so thrilled that you're here, and I'm excited for you to hear this episode. Please welcome Veronica Foster. Veronica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Elaine. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, I'm so grateful for your time. I know that you're extremely busy, so thank you so much for making the time today. And as a point of context for our listeners, we met at the Trauma and Addictions Conference in Las Vegas back in October, and I was really intrigued by the fact that you bring in some really diverse practices into the work that you do as a marriage and family therapist, uh, you know, practices like harm reduction psychology and nutritional psychology and neuropsychotherapy, Buddhist philosophy, and, and also cognitive therapy. And we got talking a bit about the work that you do in the realm of safe and empowered relationships, or what I like to call coupledom, which I feel is something that we we didn't get any training on in school. It's like that one class that we never got in school. And so I'm really looking forward to unpacking this topic with you today. Well, I'm looking forward to it as well. Yeah. So I thought a good place to start is tell us about your journey and what brought you into this space of marriage and family therapy. Yeah. Um, this is a wonderful question and, uh, and personal. So I grew up with a Southern born mother of Northwestern European ancestry and a father of Mexican mestizo roots. And um, I moved from the Pacific Northwest to rural southeastern Oklahoma. And I, my family, we were born into poverty and working class. And um, that came with a lot of uh, varying types of trauma, just from the um, kind of differences of my parents. So I came with, I'm not, I'm sure you're familiar with the ACEs score or the adverse childhood experiences um, scale. And I basically had eight out of 10. 
of those adverse childhood experiences. So um, what ended up happening is my mother, from the Western kind of medicine diagnosis and terminology, she was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. <clears throat> and my father, you know, came with his kind of host of immigration trauma and cultural trauma. Um, and so, you know, I was really just very kind of, I was obviously impacted by my mom and my dad and their experiences. And so I've always been someone who's just deeply curious and uh, emotionally attuned to other people. And so I wanted to understand, I wanted to understand what led these two people together, what led them to make the decision to have a child and and what kind of led to my mother's breaking points. And so as I started to delve into understanding kind of human behavior, behaviors um, regarding like uh, mental health, um, I delved into the field of marriage and family therapy. And I chose that path because it's all about the systems. It's all about the intrapersonal relationship that you have with yourself, interpersonal relationships you have with others, but understanding the systems from where you came from. And that meant understanding like multi-generational um, pieces of that, um, like trauma is intergenerational and multi-generational. And the multi-generational is the cumulative emotional and kind of psychological wounding that gets transmitted from one generation to the next. And the intergenerational is basically the behaviors and inner and the communication patterns in which you observe and how we pass that from one generation to the next. And so that's what led me into the path of becoming a marriage and family therapist. And because of my indigenous kind of ancestry, I was very curious about more of a kind of decolonizing framework because, you know, in Western medicine, they see the connection of mind and body. But my mom, I could tell, you know, the terminology of a psychotic break or, um, you know, it, to me, I could tell there was something mysterious in the fact that she could see what, you know, indigenous cultures state as multiple realities or parallel realities. And so I, that took me on the journey of wanting to go more into kind of indigenous concepts of wellness, which is more holistic and more connected to spiritual, emotional and kind of mental and physical aspects of a person. Right. That kind of full spectrum um, and just kind of, you know, feeding off of what you're talking about there, I feel like some of my favorite topics from the conference were about the family systems um, mm -hmm. and healing the family system. Um, but, you know, it's something I've, I've thought a lot about, and I think in part because I've had some really long-term relationships. I've had a, a seven-year relationship and I was married and um, it can be difficult to do long-term relationship well, especially if we don't have any support or guidance or if we didn't see relationships modeled well growing up as children, right? And I think a lot of us want closeness. We want intimacy and long-term partnership, but not all of us have seen relationships modeled well. Um, just actually someone recently, they were asking me, um, you know, to name one couple that I really admire. And to be honest with you, I, I really struggle to answer that question, unfortunately, um, other than, you know, the Gottmans, John and Julie Gottman, right. whom I absolutely adore. <laughs> but absolutely. Um, anyways, I, I think that uh, many of us are trained in a way to give the impression that things are going great behind closed doors when really they aren't. 
And that was certainly how I felt, you know, in my marriage, um, if I'm being completely honest. And I feel this conversation is so important because there is such an opportunity to not only learn about ourselves, as you were saying, uh, to develop mm -hmm. this deep self-awareness, but also because I believe that relationships are an opportunity for us to grow at a very profound level if we're open to it. So as someone, you know, as someone like yourself, who's been on a, in a longstanding marriage, I'd love if you could tell us a bit about your experience of marriage and long-term partnership and, um, you know, kind of relating that to some of your childhood experiences. Oh, absolutely. Well, so I've been with my partner, uh, my husband for 20 years uh, and will be in March and we've been married for 18 years. Wow. Um, and... <laughs> You know, I, I think it's, um, I like to tell my clients, you know, that um, we are the walking manifestations of our ancestors and of our experiences. And, you know, my husband and I, when we came into this, we were so innocent and um, really naive. Yeah. <laughs> um, we really had no idea, you know, what we were going to be committing to. to. And so you know, we met really young and we've grown up together. Um, and I can tell you that marriage is absolutely a commitment to transforming yourself. It, it and that and transformation is painful, um, as well as rewarding. Uh, there's the paradox, right? In order to truly feel deep joy, in some ways, you have to suffer. So, you know, um, it's, was quite the challenge in the fact that we had to figure out how to commit to grow and evolve together. And it absolutely takes emotional maturity and commitment from both parties. Um, and in that, you know, there was a lot of pain um, and this realization that we both had to understand the dynamics and, and the modeling that was taught to us. And, you know, I told you my, my family, my mother actually had been married she's been married three times and she's no longer married. And then his family system too, his mom and dad had separated. So we didn't really even understand what it meant to have a healthy relationship. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of hurt. Um, and we had to make this kind of decision in regards of like, are we going to commit to our own personal growth in order to make it in this um, thing that we call this mysterious relationship we call marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm so curious, you know, something I like to ask my guests on the show is, do you feel that your life experiences and your personal experiences in marriage have shaped the work that you do now? Do you feel that that's a major part of why you've chosen this path? 100%. Yeah. I mean, we literally, my whole entire life has um, given me this opportunity to have this incredible experience of being a clinician and absolutely my my marriage um, has been a, a huge piece um it's the, I, it, it, you can't separate it mm -hmm. yeah yeah well 
one of the most listened to episodes on our podcast is about relational conflict. And I was actually looking back at the numbers of downloads we had for our episode about relationship conflict. And it was, it was about three times more popular than any other topic we've covered. And we've covered a lot of different topics on the show. And that makes sense to me because I think that adapting to interpersonal conflict in a long relationship or a marriage, I think it takes a a ton of resources, you know, it, yes. it stalls a relationship development the same way that that a lack of safety stalls development in children. And I find this really interesting. Um, and I'm curious if you feel comfortable today. Can you take us to some personal relationship challenge or conflict in your marriage? And and how did you get through it as a as a couple? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. <laughs> so um, as I said, we grew up together. We met in college and growing up in um, southeastern Oklahoma, um, beautiful, beautiful place, um, but very much a community that is really like a lot of society teaches you to run numb and not deal. And so alcohol became, you know, um, a bit of an issue, a, a major issue in our relationship. And so that was um, that created a great rupture. Um, a great rupture. And it was something that, you know, you can't build a deep connection with someone who is disconnected from themselves. And so alcohol really blocked our ability to, um, you know, to, to progress, uh, to connect. And so there was some things that, you know, with alcohol, because, you know, as you know, it's a, it's neurotoxic, right? It's a, it's a very, you know, glorified kind of drug in our society. But it began to to damage him, it damaged our relationships, and it made him make some really poor choices. And so because of that great rupture, mm-hmm. um, I got to a point that I, you know, because of the healing work that I've been doing as a clinician and just in my own personal life, you know, you teach other people how to love you. And there came a point where I just had to set a very firm boundary. And pretty much I had to not be afraid to lose this person And what that meant is I told that person that they need to make a choice. And that meant that I was strong enough at this point to let that relationship go if I had to. And that was really brutal. Um, But what we did, you know, I I did set that firm boundary. And I basically said, you know, you need to choose what you want. And I think that fear, that lack of fear for me, like I was at a point that I knew that the dynamic that we had wasn't healthy and it wasn't love because of that disconnection. And so for me to say out loud to him, you know, I no longer want this or you, I think that was quite startling. It wasn't that unhealthy attachment where it was like codependent and, you know, I'll do whatever it takes to make it, you know, last. It was more, yeah, this isn't working and um, I'm, I need to move on. And if you can't choose to, to work on yourself, then we need to, we need to let each other go. And that was painful. Um, So, you know, he had to make a choice and thankfully he chose the relationship. Yeah. And then we had to work on rebuilding trust. Yeah. And so I'm curious, did you do that with the help of a therapist? Is that, is that at that point? Yeah. Okay. We did. Yeah. He went into his own personal therapy um, as well as I did. And then we ended up meeting with a couples therapist. Um, and you know, we, we basically, you know, had to, um, find our ways of like regulating ourselves enough to, 
come back and rebuild that trust. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to pretend like it was just, you know, it's been, it's still a work in progress. I mean, but we've, we've made that kind of um, decision that in order for us to kind of have this foundation of commitment that we will continue to, you know, there's three things that make life more challenging. And, you know, it's not being able to love yourself, refusing to, to forgive and, um, you know, not allowing yourself to grow. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we both had made a decision that we were going to kind of create as a frame. Right. Yeah. Those, that's really powerful. I like those three points that you just mentioned there. Um, you know, something I've thought a lot about is that breaks can be really helpful. You know, taking some space can be incredibly helpful, especially if things are strained. Um, it gives people space to reflect, but not not the kind of break that allows us to check out and to numb, but to actually yeah. use that as an opportunity to, um, you know, to really reflect. And I'm, I'm curious, is, is that, you know, was taking a break sort of a profound step for the development of the relationship? Absolutely. Because, you know, what happens is we can get into these unconscious kind of subconscious habits and patterns. Um, it Taking a break for us was necessary in, in a way, you know, to, to get out of the habitual kind of compulsions of our dynamic. Um, and I think that that was a big piece of being able to take time and step aside and really like do do that. I think it's so important, you know, in our society, every, there's so much stress, it's really busy, you know, people are kind of hustling and bustling in in automatic pilot mode. And you don't have an opportunity to just really pause and and reflect. And it was really necessary for us to do that, in order to come back together to truly like root ourselves and like, what, who are we? What do we value? What do we want our futures to look like? Mm Yeah. 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 So, you know, I, this kind of, um, this ambivalence. Um, so I, I think a lot of people can relate to this. So, you know, like wanting intimacy, wanting connection, but also wanting space, this kind of, you know, push and pull energy. Um, you know, I think people will, will bounce back and forth between this need for closeness. It's like, oh, I want closeness, but wait, I need space, but wait, I don't want to lose this person. Um, and I think a real light bulb moment for me is when I, you know, I was told it's okay to feel this way. It's part of intimacy, you know, part of intimacy is separation. It's part of the dance. And I'm just curious if you, uh, if you can relate to that, if you can speak to that. Absolutely. I think one of the things that's been extremely powerful for me in this work as a marriage and family therapist is this realization that the work is about rupture and repair, rupture and repair. And, and that is something that, you know, it's like leaning into that discomfort. Um, but what can happen, right, if we have these traumas, you know, these developmental traumas, these relational woundings, right, it can feel really, really scary when you are um, facing the shadows of loneliness or um, the fear of, will I, will, could I be alone, right? Um, but it's so necessary. Um, it's so necessary to face those 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 scary monsters, so to say, um, to do the healing work. Um, so I think you know a, a lot of that for me, right, was 
being able to use mindfulness and meditation and nature. Um, you know, I'm a very spiritual person. You know, I used a lot of, you know, uh, connection with, you know, great spirit and, and just really trusting. I, there was a deep innate part of me that knew that in order for, for me to have the kind of love and companionship that I truly sought in, in the heart of my kind of depth, I knew that I had to go through this hell, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. What would you say are some mindfulness practices or self-inquiry that, uh, that became very important for you and, and that someone can use to stay grounded in relationship conflict? I think this is a very, very, very good question because because I am, as a marriage and family therapist, and as you mentioned, we went to the addictions and trauma conference together, um, you know, and me coming from um, an experience as a child having a lot of trauma, you know, my brain had definitely been impacted by that. And I was always in a kind of survival state, a survival mode. So I think what's really important is to recognize the relationships and and experiences that we have when we're younger. If we feel so, um, if we feel disconnected or we feel like we're going to lose that love, right? That we are wired to attach and to bond because it's part of our survival. And if we think we're going to lose it, that's when we can go into that fight, flight or freeze or fawn, right? Where we just give in. Um, But I think it's really, really important from a neurobiological perspective to know that you've got to bring yourself from that kind of hind brain, that um, primitive brain into your prefrontal cortex. And, and And from that mindfulness perspective, I think it's so important to know you can't do that. You can't think your way through that. You have to do something physical. So whether that's like you know, there's various ways in which you can do that, but, you know, um, cold water, um, uh, exercise, um, if you can, uh, my, you know, deep belly breathing, um, but you, you've got to be able to bring yourself into your fore brain. Um, because when we get into that kind of fearful state, right, our body just tells us there's threat and, and we, there's no way we, we can actually kind of, um, actually be safe and so you mentioned safety you this the work starts with you your practice has power so you have to find those mechanisms that help you regulate again whether that's yoga nature meditation cold plunges right you exercise some push-ups whatever it is that brings you back to your you know to your your forebrain and then one acronym that I really like to use is stick, because I think of the brain as like training a dog, right? You know, if we have a stick and we wave it in front of our dog or, you know, or a ball, all they do is they trail that, that stick or that ball. You know, they can't focus on anything. And that's how sometimes our thoughts can be. We can get so hooked by our thoughts and it can be a very scary place. And so we've got to ground ourselves again in some kind of space of observation and calm. So stick is like training the mind, the, the, the dog mind, right? Mm-hmm. And that stands for stop, take a breath, imagine the future consequence, and choose. So let's say for a moment that you have this opportunity. You need to do this for yourself 
but say you're with your partner, know that you can use this powerful acronym stick. And it's okay to take a 20 minute break because again, you're not going to be able to have any safety or collaboration if you're in survival mode. So take a 20 minute break and promise if you're in a relational dynamic and there's conflict that you will return. But first and foremost, you have to have that internal mother and father inside yourself that regulates your, 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 your nervous system. Yeah. And I feel that, and this, yeah, oh, sorry to interrupt you, please. Yeah. Well, and it has to be patterned and repetitive. So remember that whatever synapses fire wire. So if we have been firing and wiring in a uh, fight, flight, or freeze response, it's going to take practice. Uh, that's that neuroplasticity. It has to be patterned and repetitive. We have to commit to this inner work for ourselves. And then re we rewire new uh, you know, pathways. But it's just like going to the gym or, or learning a new language. It, it has to be repeated. A commitment to yourself. Yeah, and I feel this really speaks to the heart and soul of what healthy boundaries are in relationships. And I think a lot of people, like many of us can struggle with the ability to set healthy boundaries. Because um, as many of us do as, as sensitive beings, you know, we, we might lose kind of internal contact with ourselves by, um, you know, by maybe giving ourselves over and focusing on the other person or on the other end of the spectrum, completely closing off and shutting down. Um, and uh, in, in either direction, really, um, it's this struggle with establishing boundaries between our own needs and preferences and honoring our partner's needs and preferences. And my question for you is, you know, how how can we best take care of ourselves and the other person in a relationship? I feel this is an ongoing uh, commitment in many ways. Yeah, no, I think this is a really good question. I, I think that, you know, the term boundaries is used a lot. And I think it's important to kind of understand what the purposes are. And majority of, of us have not been taught what healthy boundaries are. So, you know, there's a lot of different types of boundaries, right? There's emotional boundaries, there's physical boundaries, um, you know, I could go on and on financial boundaries. Um, but I think the, the most important piece to kind of take in from a wisdom perspective is that boundaries are about safety and respect. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, first and foremost, you know, everything is a parallel process, meaning that you've really got to understand, you know, what you need to keep yourself safe and ensure that, you know, that you are not allowing someone to disrespect you. Right. And so, and listening to your partner, you know, I think it's, it's really important um, to kind of come up with these practices that, you know, perhaps you might be the person who's anxious and you need your partner to talk to you to kind of, you think you need your partner to talk to you to regulate yourself. But one thing is that, I, I continue to kind of guide clients with is that you've got to first attune to yourself. What do you need? The, that is your feeling of fear. That is your feeling of anxiety. That is your feeling of loneliness. So how do you first turn to yourself 
and you soothe that within yourself. If you can start to do that, then you're not looking outside of yourself to your partner to give you that. Because if you do that, it's not going to last. It's very fleeting, right? Um, so again, it's understanding too, what is what does your partner need? Maybe perhaps they do need uh, to walk away. And it doesn't mean that you need to pursue. Mm -hmm. um, but can you be okay with that? And so there's a lot of conversation in regards of maybe the, the, the partner needs to walk away. But again, you guys need to make that commitment to coming back, right? Um, and so I like to always implement, you know, this 20 minute break, right? that you can give each other if you find yourself getting dysregulated and going to your hind brain both of you need to be conscientious of that and have this conversation and understand what's happening from a kind of a, um, uh, a neurobiological perspective right if you start to get into fight or flight right like argumentativeness or trying to pull the other person back you guys are not actually going to um you're not going to move towards being able to uh, repair, you're going to stay stuck in rupture. Yeah. So that's a piece. There's a couple of tips that I would offer if, if people are in relationships, um, you know, to have that 20 minute break and commit to return, right? Um, I think another thing that's really interesting, and I know you know this because of Gottman, is the six second kiss. Are you familiar with the six second kiss? I love that concept. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So, you know, with the six second kiss, um, you know, what's important about that is this, if you can make this again, how I talked about like patterned and repetitive, these, these, it can release dopamine and oxytocin. It's the same even with hugs, right. you know, we need hugs for survival. And there's a very, there's a, a respected family therapist named Virginia Satir. And I love this quote. She says, we need four hugs a day for survival. We need eight hugs a day for maintenance. We need 12 hugs a day for growth. So the science to that, right? Hugging increases love, the love hormone, which is oxytocin. Just a 20 second hug along with 10 minutes of hand holding reduces the physical stressful effects of cortisol. And it can lower blood pressure and lead to heart health. How does somebody navigate, you know, so where my mind was going listening to this, and I, and I love this, by the way, and I think it's really beautiful uh, and a great reminder for, you know, a lot of couples who are listening right now. Um, but how does someone navigate the scenario where maybe they're, they're wanting that physical closeness, but the other partner is shutting down and shutting off and it could be hours or days or even longer than that. So like, how does somebody navigate something like that? I think that's a, another great question because man, like you said, these, these kind of realizations about we're all literally wired to bond and connect, but we we're all kind of walking around not knowing how to do it. But you know what? Again, I think the piece is that we need to determine, does this other person have the level of commitment to heal? And, and do they want to grow and expand? Um, you know, I think that's a really good question. And if they are, and if they can kind of remember why they chose to be in this relationship and root to their kind of 
values and vision, I think it's really important for people to take time to understand like what their attachment styles are. Right. Um, because that can actually be so powerful if you can understand whether you have an anxious attachment or an avoidant attachment, right? And if you do, then you're doing this really interesting dance with each other. You're kind of naturally just playing out the kind of continued ruptures. Um, and you're trying to, it's like crazy. It's like madness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that that would be something I would encourage um, people who are wanting to have that closeness is recognizing that more than likely your earlier experiences have caused you to have a particular attachment style that is interfering. And hopefully the other partner will want to understand for themselves what their attachment style is as well. And then you start to work towards um, turning towards one another and understanding the behavior versus judging it. Yeah. So for any anybody who's listening right now who finds themselves in conflict in their relationship, um, you know, I can I can imagine that a lot of people would have questions about, you know, should I get a marriage and family therapist? How do I get, how do I find one? Where do I go? Uh, what's the best process? I, I'm wondering if you can just speak into that, maybe from your own personal experience of, you know, your partner and yourself looking for a therapist to support your own personal relationship, as well as, you know, from a professional side, um, I'd love to get your opinion on that. Yeah, just to kind of share a little differences. So there's, as you, well, I don't know what the community knows, but you know, there's different types of therapists, right? There's licensed practicing counselors, there's licensed clinical social workers, there's licensed marriage and family therapists, there's licensed psychologists. What separates a marriage and family therapist is that it is about all about the interpersonal relationships. It, as I mentioned earlier, it's all about the systems in which we are raised in. And so it's very unique in that, and that the clinician who is a marriage and family therapist is going to do some exploration regarding generations. Like we typically go three generations back so that we can understand, you know, the communication patterns, the behavioral patterns, any abuse dynamics, any uh, chemical dependency um, or behavioral compulsions. We look at all of those things um, in order to kind of understand how you, how and why you operate today. <laughs> and how you might be in this kind of automatic pilot mode. Um, in order to find a marriage and family therapist, I think first just knowing the difference of, you know, that is really important. Um, and there's, you know, depending on where you're at, you know, you can you can look up, I, you know, here in, um, I'm in California, you can look up, you know, through Psychology Today or GoodTherapy.org. You want to look for the MFT, though, the Marriage and Family Therapist. Um, and in order to find a good one, I mean, that's a really great question. I think know that when you're looking for a therapist, that it's absolutely okay, um, to try, you know, have a session, do, do the consultation calls, um, you know, ask about their experience, um, try having, you know, three sessions with them. It's, if it's not a good fit, then, then don't, don't waste your time or your money. You know, having a therapist is like almost like dating, you know, you've got to have good rapport and trust. Um, and so I think a lot of, I, I don't know, you know, in Canada, you know, the, 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 uh, 
where and how you all, you know, that's different than the ways in which, you know, like, I don't know if the psychology today, I'm sure that's part of something that you use there too. So yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. That's how I found mine. Yeah. 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 So, you know, and then there's, there's other uh, sites, but, um, you know, I, I could share that with you and you can maybe um, post it somewhere else, but there's a lot of different sites that are, you know, clinicians that are more, that are specialized in the LGBTQ community or BIPOC community. Um, but I just, I think it's marriage and family therapy, I think is, a, it, it's very, it's very specialized. Again, like I said, in, in getting into that intrapersonal, which is the relationship to self first and foremost, mm-hmm. and how that like, um, kind of expands into the interpersonal dynamics and, and, um, and everything else. Right. Would you say that, would you say it's important that someone chooses uh, a therapist that it has been in a marriage or is currently in a marriage? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, That's a great question. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I'm also a clinical supervisor. I have been supervising up and coming therapists for six years now which means that I um, train and and I provide, you know, it's like a mentorship kind of piece. And I always tell my clinicians that you are only able to take your clients as far as you've been able to take yourself. So I do think that people's lived experiences um, can make a big difference. Um, You know, I think there are a lot of clinicians who may be young but have had quite the lived experience. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, you know, I, I think it can be helpful to ask questions of the clinician to understand what, you know, uh, what is their, um, what is their therapeutic modality to treat their, you know, couples? What is their experience treating couples who've maybe had uh, affairs or substance use or, um, you know, where there's been uh, high conflict. Uh, I think it's important to to ask questions. And if that person has a level of, you know, uh, confidence and, and you feel that what they're saying to you actually kind of uh, resonates and you feel that this person could definitely have a level of uh, experience. Again, it's all about the interview. You want to interview that therapist. When you say interview, though, I'm curious, you know, like, are there any specific questions someone should ask? Yeah, I I think, um, you know, asking how many years of experience they have, um, what are the type of, who who did they train with, what kind of organizations, what kind of supervisors, um, you know, what, um, what is their therapeutic modality? and have them explain to you what that is. And um, not only explain, but ask them how that decreases symptoms. Say symptoms are, you know, relational conflict or uh, anger outbursts or, uh, you know, so whatever that is, right? I I think you've got to ask them, what does what you're telling, how does what you're, you're telling me that you do actually help me? Right. So that's like, that's like the interview for you. You're going to be paying money or using your insurance. And, and, you know, again, I think you have to feel confident that this person, um, and there's a lot of good therapists out there Mm -hmm. a lot. So I think it, it, it could take some time, 
but I think you definitely want it. You're investing in yourself. Yeah. So uh, that's what's really important. Do you feel there's a certain amount of time, minimum amount of time that needs to be committed in order to actually see results? Okay. Well, if we think about um, our kind of our brains and our experiences, you know, it's, it's taken these lifetimes, right? And, and where we are, but what I, I can tell you what I do know, I wish everybody could be in therapy for at least a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it takes about a good six months. You know, you want to get rooted in, um, you know, first and foremost, you're building a relationship with someone and it's having a relationship with a therapist is probably one of the most intimate relationships you'll ever have. Absolutely. And yeah. right. And you talked about safety and safety is, is key. And so that can take some time. You want to feel safe with this person. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot for me, right? It's understanding your frame, you know, how you see the world. What are the stories that you tell yourself? What is that? How do you talk to yourself, right? That cognitive piece, you know, um, what is what is the internal kind of default mode and messages that you have? That takes time to kind of get to know somebody and to understand the way they see the world, their internal narratives. Then there's the behavioral pieces of it. You want to guide someone into having some behavioral changes, right? So it, typically it takes about six months mm-hmm. uh, to really implement that. And in about a year, you actually see a, you see a person, a different person. I mean, it's the same person, but it's a person who's more rooted in healthy, um, you know, there's that the body and the mind piece. Um, you know, people, people come to therapy. Sometimes I wish they wouldn't wait so late. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, and I don't want that to discourage anybody when I say six months, because I know it's expensive. But, you know, there's a lot of good like like programs now that are offering lower fee. Um, But, yeah, about six months to a year, uh, you start to see some real the relationship. Actually, there's scientific data that shows that your brain changes. So you know, six months to a year, you're definitely going to see uh, some change. And if you're not seeing changes, or if you're not getting any kind of, if it doesn't seem, you know, in the first, I would say, if you don't feel like you're able to kind of have some perspective within the first, you know, 10 to 12 sessions, um, it's not a good fit. Mm, Right. Well, this is something I'm really interested in is this idea of being able to change our brain. I mean, that's just fascinating to me. And, you know, repatterning, repatterning ourselves in relationships, I think it's just, I feel like we could do a whole podcast just on that topic alone. <laughs> but so, yeah. Many of these questions, I'm trying not to go too, too far deep down the rabbit hole. because Yeah. Each one of these, you have a podcast on their own. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've done such a great job answering these questions. And one of the questions I I wanted to wrap on today is, you know, what would you say are three lessons of self-discovery you would suggest to someone who's looking to get the relationship they want? Uh, What what would you say are three important things to consider? Hmm. That's a, that's a big question, but, you know, it's kind of what I said earlier, three things that make life harder, right, is not loving yourself and refusing to grow and not letting go. I would say those are the those are the lessons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being able to 
make a decision that you you absolutely have to commit to doing this hard work of learning how to truly love yourself. And because there is no way you will have a healthy relationship if you don't know yourself. Um, And that piece of being stuck, refusing to grow, what can happen is, yeah, we're afraid. Um, But what we can end up doing is we can build these walls and these defenses, but then it it can become our own prison. And then we're trapped. We're trapped in, in this fear and fear narrows focus. And then not letting go. I, I know it's really hard. And it's, you know, forgiveness really truly isn't for the other person. It is and it isn't, but it's really for you. Because if you have some inability to let go, you're basically getting stuck. And when you get stuck and and you become bitter, you, in a way, you begin to, your mind clouds with a lot of doubt and a lot of darkness and a lot of shadow. So I think it's so critical to release. I think of everything as energy. Um, we have to release, we have to let go. Um, that would be what I would say are the three um, kind of lessons of self-discovery. Yeah, that self-love piece I think is so important. And I was, uh, one of my favorite books by Susan Piver, do you know who that is? I do. Yeah, she's a beautiful, beautiful author. And uh, she talked about the reason why self-love is so important. And this just was, this was like a huge light bulb moment for me. She said, you know, at at the beginning stages of a relationship, um, you know, it's all great, the honeymoon phase, you know, (laughs) you you love that person, you're so intrigued by that person. But then as the gap between you start to to come to close, essentially, as you get closer and closer, that space of intimacy, um, you know, deepens. And then the way that we talk to ourselves becomes the way that we talk to the other person. And that, that was like, I was like, wow, that's why we need to love ourselves because if we are self-critical about ourselves and that that will you know that we will project that on to the other person as the relationship gets more intimate and as you know as it gets more comfortable too right we actually begin to speak to that person the way that we speak to ourselves and i was like wow (laughs) that's the parallel process yeah that's that's meant by that yeah if we If we speak unkindly to ourselves, if we are berating to ourselves, if we are can't trust ourselves, we absolutely project it onto the other. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really powerful lesson. And I, I love that you spoke into that and, you know, Veronica, I, I'm so happy that we met. I'm really grateful that, that, you know, we crossed paths at the conference and as a, as a final way to wrap today, I'm, I'm just wondering out of curiosity, what would you say is the best relationship advice that you've ever received that you'd like to pass on to our listeners today? Oh, well, the art of listening. Mm. And I think you said it. We have to 
listen to ourselves yeah in order to listen to others but i do think that you know listening is 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 really quite an art because we can get really caught up in our psychological noise and our physiological noise and so that's why mindfulness has been so powerful for me in my life personally and what i what i guide you know my clinicians and my my clients and you know we have to be able to quiet the psychological noise and the physiological noise. And when we can do that for ourselves, then we can truly hear the other person. Oof. So listening. Yeah. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for the work that you do. I feel it is so, so important. Uh, how can our listeners connect with you? Ah, great question. <laughs> Well, um, you know, I have my Facebook account and my website uh, and my Instagram account. Um, so those are some ways in which uh, uh, individuals, you can always email me. Um, and so will you be providing that information somewhere? Yeah. So we'll um, put that in the show notes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but my website, I, I don't know that I need to go through each and everything, but is the C within dot me. Uh, that is my website, the C within dot me, just like the sea, like the ocean. Um, my uh, email account is Veronica Foster MFT for marriage and family therapist uh, at Gmail. So again, that's my first and last name mft at gmail so that's a, a great way to connect with me um and then you know my instagram account um is healing mind and heart perfect uh, yeah those are some ways perfect well thank you so much we're gonna have links in the show notes for our listeners to be able to access those um you know just by clicking thank you so much for being here today i really appreciate it Oh my goodness. This has been a blessing for me and I'm extremely grateful. And um, of course I was nervous, but you did an amazing job. And so thank you for <laughs> guiding me and allowing me to just be this vessel and to, you know, root people in recognizing this incredible power of, you know, self and um, love. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope you'll join us next time. Mindful Matters is written, hosted, and recorded by me, Elaine Clark. Special thanks to Karen Zorzi, our editor, Tawny Stoiber for the artwork, and our theme music by Bellwoods. If you can, please leave us a review. It helps others discover the show, and we really appreciate it. Let's keep these conversations going over at Blue Matter Project. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.